If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go with me to Jeremiah 29. Last week, we were in 28, and we read seven chapters this week, but I'm only jumping one chapter here, uh, literally to the next chapter in, in Jeremiah 29. If you remember with me, I had that yoke, right? And Jeremiah was telling the people that it's actually God's will for you and this judgment to actually go to Babylon and be held captive for 70 years. And there were false prophets that were actually trying to kind of maybe let them know, it's not going to be that bad, just a couple of years, we'll be back home. And there's just this tension going on of Jeremiah speaking truth and their circumstances, and then also these other people that were kind of trying to take the easy way out. And we'll touch on that a little bit again here today. Um, But while they're in captivity, that's important. That's our context for this passage. They're in captivity. They're walking through some heavy, heavy things. And we get this letter that Jeremiah sends to these people who are in exile. And so that's our setting here, and we'll walk through um, several sections of this, verses 1 through Uh, 23. But before we get into the word, I believe God speaks to us. Let's pray and ask God to settle our hearts and get ready to receive. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time right here as a body of believers. We get together and we want to hear from you. And as you speak, I pray that your spirit would move upon our hearts, move upon our lives. Lord, show us things in our life that you desire to to bring strength, encouragement, change, possibly conviction, repentance. Lord, do what you want to do right here and now in our hearts and lives. We pray over our children's ministry. Bless their time in the word and in worship together. We thank you for this now. Lord, please move upon this. We need you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 1, kind of sets us up. It tells us, Jeremiah is sending a letter to these exiles. It says, Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiachin, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Shephan, and Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. What a way to open the letter. (laughs) I mean, think of this. They're in captivity. Opening part of the letter. You should build a house. You're going to be here a while. He says, plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. 
This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. You claim that the Lord has raised up prophets for you in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all those still living here in Jerusalem, your relatives who were not exiled to Babylon. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. I will send war, famine, and disease upon them and make them like bad figs too rotten to eat. Yes, I will pursue them with war, famine, and disease, and I'll scatter them around the world. In every nation where I send them, I will make them an object of damnation, horror, contempt, and mockery. For they refuse to listen to me, though I have spoken to them repeatedly through the prophets that I have sent. And you who are in exile have not listened either, says the Lord. Therefore, listen to this message from the Lord, all you captives there in Babylon. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says about your prophets. Ahab, son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, son of Masaiah. Now, these are prophets, not these kings, like King Ahab or King Zedekiah. But these prophets who are telling you lies in my name, I will turn them over to Nebuchadnezzar for execution before your very eyes. Their terrible fate will become proverbial so that the Judean exiles will curse someone by saying, May the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned alive. For these men have done terrible things among my people. They have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives and have lied in my name, saying things I did not command. I am a witness to this. I, the Lord, have spoken. All right, that's where we're going to stop here as we begin to kind of unpack this passage. And I want to start by looking um, at the letter. Okay, we know this is being sent uh, to the exiles in Babylon, so let's get to the content of the letter that's being sent, starting in verse 4 and running here through verse 7. To summarize these things, Jeremiah is telling these people through the Lord, he says, build homes, plant gardens, get married, have kids, they're going to be there a while. But one thing that's very interesting is he tells them to work and to pray for the Babylonians. I find that very interesting. God's telling his people that even though you're going through this difficult circumstance and you have people who technically are your captors, I want you to work for them. I want you to pray for them. Instead of wishing for a farewell, God is wanting them to look out for the welfare of that nation. And by doing so, it would go well 
for them. And I can think of several other individuals that are mentioned in the Bible where they're in kind of this limbo, if you will. Uh, They're not quite at the promised land. They're not quite where they want to be in life, so to speak, but they're right in the center of God's will. I think of a guy like Moses. And here he is under the rule of, of the Egyptian pharaoh. But yet he's being a blessing while he's in this foreign territory. I think of a guy like Joseph. Same thing with the Egyptian pharaoh. I think of Esther and her situation. Maybe not the most ideal pressures that were on her, but God had a plan. And there's even a verse in Esther that says, for such a time as this. I think of David and all the times he was running from King Saul and the pressures and the weight of all of that, yet God had a plan. I think a little bit later of Nehemiah and Daniel. I mean, these are guys who are serving foreign kings, yet they're rising up the ranks and they're earning the respect of the people around them, even though they're in this pagan culture. So when I consider all these things, I just think, look around us. We're in a pagan culture. We might be in situations that are are hard or difficult, or you might work at a place that you just don't enjoy, or whatever your circumstance might be, and I think, what is your Babylon? And I think we can take some notes from this and say, you know, even if I'm not necessarily enjoying the circumstance, I can learn what it is to be content in any and every circumstance because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I'm going to put my shoes on and I'm going to go and walk through the circumstance because I know that God has a purpose in all of this. And I can be a witness along the way. I can influence people's lives. So we walk through these things and we have to trust though that God is interceding for us. I mean, if we're really going to embrace that, Does God really have my best interest at heart? Does he know what's best for me? And I do think there are times where God puts it on our heart to evaluate our circumstance and maybe there's need for change. And I think we we process that. We speak to the Lord through that. We we talk to godly counsel. I don't want you to tell me what I want to hear. I need you to tell me what I need to hear. What do you think I should do? And, And God might bring a new chapter for you in that. But sometimes the chapter's not over. And God's saying, I just need you to get to work and I need you to serve me even in the midst of the difficulty. Build homes, settle down, make plans, get married, have kids, go on with life living for me. Even pray for the people around you that are maybe being a little bit difficult. What does it look like to work in that kind of culture? Well, it's not easy, and we can start to maybe look for the easy way out when we're going through that. And there were these false prophets who continued to tell people, this won't be for 70 years. This will be short. Just a few years, we'll come back home. And they're looking for that easy way out in verses 8 and 9, and they're trying to keep the people focused on worldly comforts. The enemy loves to do that. 
He'll get you so focused on the world. The Bible says that if you love the world, you could question whether or not you have a love for the Father. That's from 1 John. We have to be careful with how much we get attached to the comforts and the cares and the things of this world. And we know this. In our flesh, human nature wants the easy way out. How many of you would agree with that statement right there? Where's the easy button here? We say work smarter, not harder. But sometimes we just need to work hard because this is where we're at. And we honor the Lord with our hard work. I mean, can you blame the uh, Jewish people, though? I mean, consider what they had gone through. These exiles had lost everything but their very lives and what few possessions they could carry with them into this other nation. They had lost their freedom. They're now captives. They had been taken from their homes, and they had lost their means of, of making a living. They were separated from relatives and friends, and some of whom had actually died on their way to Babylon. No matter how they looked at this, it seemed hopeless. So you could see how these prophets saying this won't last very long sounds kind of nice. I mean, I don't think any of us have the full idea of the weight of what they were walking through. To be ripped out from your comforts of home and family and the job that you love and all that stuff, just gone. And a whole new life that's filled with oppression. Well, God doesn't just leave them in this state. In verses 10 through 14, he talks about how there's some better days ahead. Now, I want to reread these four verses because I think they're kind of the, the power verses of this passage and ones that are quoted a lot. This is what the Lord says, You will be in Babylon for 70 years but then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised, and I will bring you home again. That's got to be something they hung on to. He's going to let us go back home at some point. Then he says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans uh, to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. So verse 10, verse 14. Hey, if you didn't catch that I'm going to bring you home, guess what? I'm going to bring you home. There are some things that are going to be tough for the next several decades but know that I have a plan for you and I give you a hope and I give you a future and then he talks about praying and and seeking and so our memory verse just put that up there on the screen this is a verse I know a lot of the kids know in children's ministry youth ministry you probably know it as well but this is the context of where this verse gets brought out, of people who were really going through a lot. And frankly, it was their own fault. They were living in disobedience, and the consequences of their sin 
brought all of this heartache upon them. Yet even in the midst of this, I see a God of grace who says, even though you're, to some degree, to, to bring it down to our level, they're in timeout. And not that Judah gets in trouble a lot, but sometimes there's conversations that he and I will have when he's in timeout. And sometimes it seems like maybe you get through a little bit more when they realize that they're in trouble or that they're in timeout or something was taken from them for a moment. God is speaking to them these words while they're in timeout. And he says, I have plans for you to give you a hope and a future. I know it probably doesn't seem like that right now. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I think there's several audiences. I realize that this is for the Jews who are in this time out. But I want to walk you through, I think, five different Audiences that I think you can embrace this passage. The first one is the people that it was being sent to. At that moment, what an encouraging word. Right? They're really walking through it. And I think that when you're told those words, I have a plan for you, I want to give you a hope and a future, while you're in the midst of the difficult circumstance, there is just something that lifts you up. And I would hope that there were some Jews who embraced that letter and said, I'm going to keep fighting the good fight. This was an encouragement. God does have plans for me, even though I'm walking through what I'm walking through. There's also the application for when they return, when they actually get to go back to Jerusalem. He says, when that happens, he says, you're going to pray to me. And you're going to seek me. And then there's this promise of Scripture that if you seek God with all your heart, there's a guarantee. He's like, you're going to find me. James 4 tells us that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. There are several passages in Scripture that talk about the effort you put in. There's a blessing of the presence of God and, and having this just greater understanding of who he is when we put in the time. And spend that time with him when we seek him wholeheartedly. And there's also some application for us now. We can look at this scripture that was given to the Jews. And we can look at this and say, you know what? No matter what I'm going through, I believe that God does have a plan for my life. Plans to give me hope. Plans to give me a future. I mean, you can interpret Scripture with Scripture. The New Testament's full of all kinds of things that are filled with hope and a future and plans for your prosper and not your harm. And we can take a verse like this and say, yeah, it was for the Jewish people, but I'm going to be encouraged by that verse here and now. God does have a plan for my life. Even when I've screwed a whole bunch of stuff up, and I've failed over and over, and I just am knocked down, guess what? God still has a plan. You can walk in that plan. I want to encourage you with a testimony here from Lulu Roman. She's a famous singer, also an actress that was on Hee Haw. And um, perhaps you know a little bit of her story, maybe you don't, but listen to her life application 
of this passage, specifically Jeremiah 29, 11. She says this, Jeremiah sent this letter from Jerusalem to the elders of the people who God had been taking away uh, from Jerusalem as captives to Babylon and telling them that God had plans for them if they would do as Jeremiah told them. Now being sent away, she says, has been the very root of my life. Being born in a home for unwed mothers and then dumped with a thyroid problem in an orphanage, I felt as if I were the true, unlovable one for most of my life. I lived with great anger and self-loathing most of my life, and I made devastatingly bad choices that came from that place of feeling unloved. I spent many years in my life in trouble and in harm's way at my own hands. I tried to cover all the pain with, with drugs and an unbelievably reckless lifestyle. I had a very bitter and hurt spirit, and I believed that if there was a God, he didn't care about me because he had dumped me as a child. I had no plans for myself. I only wanted to survive and keep everyone away from me so that I wouldn't be hurt anymore. Well, after experiencing two drug busts and giving birth to a baby that was born addicted to the drugs and then being kicked off the television show Hee Haw for using drugs and truly having no plans in my life and for my life, I ran into one of my friends from the orphan's home. And she took me to Beverly Hills Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, where I eventually gave my life to Jesus and was instantly delivered from drugs and totally set free. Well, after 38 years of walking with Jesus, I now look back over my journey and I see that he had great plans for my life. I never sang until I gave my heart to Jesus and he literally gave me the gift of song and in my life and in my heart. This precious gift comes from God and he's blessed my life with his plans to share his gifts with everyone that I can. And I'm thankful for his hand of mercy and grace extended to a life that was broken from the beginning. And it took many years for me to seek his face and for him to literally set me free from all the anger and the hurt that were a part of my life. I now walk in forgiveness and I have that peace that passes human understanding that his word talks about. And now that little orphan girl who believed that God threw her away knows that he chose me to be an instrument of his love and to tell everyone that he loves without boundaries. There is nothing we can do that will make him love us any less than he did the second that he breathed life into us because he truly has plans of hope for every life. That's a good testimony. And I think it's a testimony we need to hear because sometimes when things in life just aren't going our way and we're kicked over and over and over again and these decisions that sinful people, not perfect people, sinful people have done to us in the past, they can kick us down and then we can get angry and bitter at God. And out of her testimony, she's trying to encourage us, you can trust him, lean into him. He does have a plan for your life. There's application in this passage for us now, and I think there's also something to know that there's something we look forward to. We look forward to heaven. 
And for the Jews, they were looking forward to this ultimate kingdom that Christ would be the one ruling when God sets up his future kingdom. So point four and five is we just know we have this unbelievably heavenly kingdom that we're going to be a part of. And when I consider all those things, it's just incredible, the things that are in store for us. And I, I want to share with you another testimony of somebody who gets hope, gets encouragement when they think about heaven. And this testimony comes from Johnny Erickson Tata. At 17 years old, she was injured in a diving accident and became a quadriplegic. And listen to her application of Jeremiah 29, 11. You talk about a hope and a future for someone who cannot use her limbs and has been severely limited in a lot of ways, but God is still at work. And she says, don't you love thinking back about old times? The older I get, the more I enjoy reflecting on memories and talking about favorite vacations and childhood jaunts and remembering my dear mother, who is now in heaven. My sweetest memories are those that inspire hope. She says, I recall what it was like to peel an orange. These are things we take for granted. What it was like to pluck a guitar or hold a cold glass of Coca-Cola and feel my fingers tap on cool piano keys. Why do such memories inspire hope for me, she asks. Because rather than making me lament on what once was, I let them remind me that one day I will have new hands. And my new fingers might dig in the dirt, picking and and scrubbing fresh vegetables. And I smile as I imagine holding the hand of my dear husband, Ken, in heaven someday. She says, my best memories give shape to that hopeful future that's promised in Jeremiah 29, 11. Your memories, especially if you've lost a loved one, or your health, or your ability to think clearly, should inspire you to hope as well. For as wonderful as the world was when all these special remembrances occurred, as wonderful as it was when my hands worked, these things are only a foretaste of a more delightful, pleasurable experience to come. And Jesus is the one who makes our futures bright. Jesus assures us that our best memories will one day blossom into more joyous reality than we could ever imagine. He is our hope. So not only do we have a hope and and plans for the here and now, but God has hope and plans for us in the future The title of this message and a question that I want us all to really consider today is how big is your view of heaven? How big is your heaven? Is it big enough that when you're going through difficult things, it can steady you? It can bring encouragement to you? Because there's a day coming when God will make all the wrongs right and he'll restore things that have been robbed if you will whether it's health we'll no longer have to deal with the curse of sin this is what's coming and it's incredible and I think we can live in light of heaven 
The Bible encourages us to. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. So that means there's more to this life than this life. There's something that's coming next, and I can look forward to that. And and however big my view of, of what's next will affect how I carry out my actions here in the now. Colossians 1.5 tells us that faith and love spring from a hope that's stored up for us in heaven. So when we think about these things and, and hope for these things, we can go through some trials and we can still have a faith and we can still love. We don't have to become bitter because we know we have hope. Oftentimes, our picture of heaven gets a little clearer or bigger when we lose someone that we love. I think that's when we're often thinking about eternity most is when we're kind of navigating those types of things as a family or with a close friend. The First Thessalonians 4.13 even tells us that even while we grieve for the people that we've lost here on this earth, we can grieve as people who have hope. And there's a difference. People that grieve without hope, it's just devastating. Where is there any sense of encouragement? But when you know you'll get to see your loved one again because they had faith in Christ, and you do too, there's an encouragement in that. doesn't mean you don't grieve, but it means that you have hope while you're grieving. So, Jeremiah 29, 11. It's loaded, isn't it? And there's a lot of encouragement. There's a lot of application that can come from that. And I just want to give us now a bit of a warning that when God is calling us to walk in His ways and walk in obedience, I mean, the reason why they're in time out is because they weren't walking in obedience. And even while they're in time out, He's asking them to do things that they need to be obedient to, and it would go well with them while they're in captivity. If we don't get the hint and we don't start walking in God's ways, it can get worse. It can get worse. That's drawn out for us here in verses 15 through 23. You've got these false prophets. They're being totally disobedient. You have these people that chose not to go to Babylon. They're like, we're going to stay here in Jerusalem and stick this out. And God says through Jeremiah, well, guess what? It's actually going to go worse for you if you stick around in Jerusalem than if you were to just listen and go to Babylon. And then for these false prophets who are out living in this sin and this adultery and sharing these lies and calling it truth, their conditions will be deadly because of their continued disobedience. You know, even worse than physical death is the eternal punishment of hell and separation from God. 
And I just want to make a point here is that when we go through difficult circumstances, we have a very real enemy in our life that wants to take us out. The Bible calls him Satan. He's a fallen angel. He's the one that wants to, to just absolutely destroy your life. In fact, Jesus said he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's got a whole army of demons, and they just want to oppress you. They want to take you out. They want to destroy your marriage. They want to suck the joy out of, out of your life. They want to get you caught up in all this worldly stuff. Forget about how big your heaven is. Live it up right now. This is it. This is your only chance. You only, you only live once. And all of that stuff. And then when circumstances go tough, Satan's like, maybe you should get angry at God. I mean, he's in control. He could fix this. But yet here you are, still in this circumstance. And, and Satan tries to get us angry at the one we can trust. Sometimes, like in Lulu, Roman's case, it's just this spiral, being angry at God and then making terrible decisions, the drug addiction. And, I mean, if Lulu had died without Jesus in her life, she would have gone to hell. That's why Jesus came, is to save people from that destination. And Satan wants us to be angry at God and, and cause us to spiral out of control. And sometimes we're tempted in those moments just to give up. What's the point? Perhaps right now you might be somebody that feels overlooked or forgotten or mistreated and you want to quit. And Satan's goal is to get you to do just that. Give up. That's what he's trying to get you to do. Throw in the towel. Call it quits. Discouragement is one of his favorite weapons. I can get you discouraged, you won't be effective. And Charles Stanley says that disappointments in life, they're inevitable. If you want the prosperity gospel, we offer that on the sixth Sunday of the month. You can come here and listen at that time. That's where we take offerings, too. Yeah, sixth Sunday of the month, prosperity gospel. You're going to have disappointments and discouragement in life. Even when Christ is in your life. When you walk through those things, though, here's what makes the difference. You have his presence. And the reminder that he has a plan. And you can trust him. I want to encourage you with this video clip. I know it's football season. Here's a little clip from the movie Facing the Giants about not giving up. Dude. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> What, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. The 50? I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. 
You gonna give me your best? I'm gonna give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I don't want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Not the 20 yet. Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. Hey, done. Just rest in a second. You gotta keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going, you hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your best. Your best. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your best. Don't quit, no! Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! Don't quit! Don't quit! Don't quit! Rock Kelly, you don't quit! Keep going! Keep going! Go, Rock Kelly! You don't quit on me! No! You keep going! You keep going! Go, Rock! Ten more steps! Ten more! Ten more! Ten more! Keep going! Don't quit! Give me your Look up, Brock. You're in the end zone. Brock, you are the most influential player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Oh, tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. 
Brock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach? Can I count on you? Yes. Coach? What is it, Jeremy? I want a 160. see that clip I, I just think of the the passage in um, Timothy where it says I fought the good fight right I finished the race and I've kept the faith you're gonna walk through tough things in this life okay but discouragement is a choice God has a plan for your life you can trust him the Bible tells us that we can actually glory in our sufferings. In Romans 5, verses 3 through 5, it says this because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance will then produce character, and character, hope. There's that word again. I give you a hope and a future. Hope can be built out of going through difficult things and I think that's one of the reasons why that God doesn't just spare us from difficult things our entire life there's things he wants to do in us and God says he's called us to this hope in Ephesians 1.18 we've been called to a hope and hope is not merely a fond wish but it's a certain future that's based on God's faithfulness to his word. And we sang a song here earlier in the service that said, Blessed be the name of the Lord, even on the road that's marked with suffering. And there might be pain in the offering that we give in life, but in the midst of all of that, we still bless God's name because he has a plan, he's given us hope, he's given us a future. We can come to him and, and pray and seek his face, and he will be faithful to lead us and guide us in this life. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time in your word. You had some very clear things that you wanted to say to the Jewish people, and as we look in on these things today, there's clear things you want to speak into our life. And no matter what we're walking through, we know you've got a plan. We can trust you. Father, it's possible that there's someone listening right now that as I talk about the consequences of living a life without Jesus, and that if we die without Jesus, we'll be forever separated from you. Lord, your desire, your plan for that individual's life is to come to you and ask for forgiveness of their sin and put their faith and trust in Jesus 
for the forgiveness of sin and to walk in new life. And if you're listening right now and you desire that today, I want to pray with you. Just pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I surrender to you. Please forgive me of my sin. I ask that you'd cleanse me and make me a new person. I ask today that you'd be my Lord and Savior. And I'm trusting today that you have a plan for my life. Plans to prosper. The things you want to do. And not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Today I receive you by grace through faith. And Lord, for all of us listening, it is my heart's desire that we would just be simply encouraged as we continue to walk out this faith journey. I pray that our view and our picture of heaven would get bigger because it affects the way we live our life here on this earth. And I pray that we would always know that you are faithful to your word. We thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen.